Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, nearly everyone celebrated when a federal judge struck down the CDC's mask mandate on public transportation, but will the ruling survive an appeal? Should it? And what are the long-term implications? Also this morning, snoodles, cadoodles, poodles, and lots and lots of noodles. The new children's book from author Stephen Joseph takes kids and grown-ups alike into a world where imagination is king and even the crankiest among us can find happiness. And we have details on upcoming community programs in the month of May at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is Morse Code Day, also National Tell a Story Day. So if you really want to be creative and really celebrate both, you can tell a story in Morse Code today. (laughs) National Prime Rib Day, it is Babe Ruth Day, Marine Mammal Rescue Day, and it is National Devil Dog Day today. So, reasons to celebrate today the observances that we observe on this 27th of April. So, the big news yesterday, the vice president tested positive for COVID-19. Kamala Harris uh, tested positive. She is asymptomatic, but she is still isolating, and they don't believe that she was in close contact with the president at any point in the past several days. Uh, So... Hopefully, she hasn't uh, passed it on to uh, the president or the uh, first lady. But uh, she is certainly far from alone. It seems that most Americans now have had COVID-19. Data released yesterday by the CDC found nearly 60% of blood samples collected from people in the U.S. showed evidence of previous infection with the virus that causes COVID-19. And this was through the end of February. So it's probably gone up since then. This comes after a marked increase in infections nationally between December of last year and the end of February this year, fueled by the Omicron variant. The study looked for antibodies in the blood from the virus, but did not examine whether enough antibodies were present to protect against reinfection in the future. CDC says vaccination remains the safest strategy for preventing complications from infections, including hospitalization among children and adults, and that getting the shots after infection does provide additional protection against severe disease and hospitalization, which is really what we are trying to prevent uh, is the serious uh, impact of the disease, uh, the most serious cases. But uh, 60 percent. And I think I I heard something in the news. It's like 75 percent of kids and adults uh, up to like the age of 35 or something. I I don't remember anyway. It's something between 60 and 75% of people have had it uh, at this point. And uh, so probably have some level of natural immunity. You add the vaccines to that. And it just is, uh, I I think, I interpret this, and I'm not a medical professional, but having followed this fairly closely and speaking with a number of medical professionals, it seems to me that this is an indicator that this is becoming less and less of a fearful thing. Uh, The more people we have vaccinated, the more people 
uh, have that natural immunity that they have built up as well, the better off that we are in terms of moving from pandemic to endemic stage. And that, of course, does seem to be playing itself out. But as we get to the post-pandemic era of COVID-19, just when you thought it was safe to start relaxing about everything we've gone through with COVID, now there is a new threat. Have you heard about this? They call it pandemic foot. (laughs) And this is not a side effect of the virus or the vaccine. This is the name given to a host of problems that your feet might be experiencing from the lockdown. The New York Times reports that podiatrists and other foot specialists are being inundated with new patients. It turns out uh, there are it turns out that many people's feet have started bothering them post pandemic. And uh, there are a number of reasons uh, for that that might be among them. Those pandemic pounds that you put on a lot of people gained a little bit of weight during the pandemic because we couldn't get out, couldn't get active as much. We're, you know, locked down and all of that. Uh, Judith Baumauer, orthopedic surgeon, the University of Rochester Medical Center, says when we walk, our foot takes on up to four times the force of our body weight. So even adding on about five pounds that you might have packed on during the pandemic, that could have an impact of an additional 20 pounds of pressure on the foot and ankle when you walk. And so for some people, it's causing problems. Uh, Other issues arising from the fact that millions of people who've been just lounging around the house while working from home now have to cram their feet into more appropriate footwear rather than those bunny slippers that you have been wearing for months. (laughs) More comfortable footwear, they say, allows your toes to spread out and relax. And the longer you wear your slippers, the more this is true. So when you go back to your work shoes, they don't fit as well as they once did. Podiatrist James Hanna, the president of the New York State Podiatric Medical Association, Uh, Says in a report, the uh, pursuit of our pre-pandemic bodies can cause foot issues as well. People thought that they could just pick up where they left off. Um, But their feet are not prepared for what their bodies want to do in terms of exercise and mobility and all of that. So, pandemic foot is a thing now, apparently. (laughs) Something else that we have to worry about. Now, there we go. By the way, uh, speaking of working from home, I thought this was kind of interesting. As uh, people switched from, you know, the office to working from home in big numbers during the pandemic, virtual meetings, of course, became a big thing, leading to the sudden rise of Zoom meetings in particular, similar platforms. Returning to offices since the height of the pandemic has been slower, and many people still have not gotten back to their workplaces full-time, so virtual meetings continue. And a new Seattle-based startup called Read uh, has uh, created software which measures engagement and the sentiment of participants in video meetings. And uh, they have just released their first study after measuring more than 3 million virtual meeting minutes 
since back in September, and their findings are that for meetings with seven or more people, 50% of participants arrive late, 40% have below or average uh, have below average or poor engagement in that meeting, 40%. 22% of meeting participants don't participate at all. They don't say a word. And 11% don't even have their video or audio on during the meeting. <laughs> Overall, one in five had a below average meeting score and 31% of those Zoom meetings, those online meetings, those virtual meetings, 31% of them start late. So <laughs> it just seems like it is uh, so much easier uh, on a virtual meeting to zone out and not pay attention, at least according to uh, this analysis of more than 3 million minutes of, uh, of uh, virtual meeting data. So... Three million virtual meeting minutes uh, analyzed in September. So the pretty large sample size. I think the results are pretty reliable. And think about it, how that compares to the meetings that you have had, the online meetings that you have had for work. <laughs> pretty pretty consistent, those numbers. You're sitting there shaking your head. Yeah, that's probably about right. That's about a half of us not uh, participating at all. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, items here among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. I mentioned um, right after Easter that uh, I can talk about it now because uh, it is Facebook official. My son and daughter-in-law have posted this online and everybody knows now uh, they are expecting their uh, second child uh, later this year. So we're going to be my wife and I going to be grandparents again. Pretty excited about that. But I saw this story. Uh, that I thought was uh, interesting. When it comes to pregnancy, a new study finds that boys are more demanding than girls. Now, if you are the parent of both boys and girls, you may argue that girls, once they are born, are more demanding than boys. <laughs> I think a lot of parents would agree with that. But in the womb, scientists and researchers at uh, the University of Cambridge and St. John's College uh, found that uh, the gender of an unborn baby uh, can affect how well a placenta actually functions, along with other factors such as diet-induced maternal obesity and stress. Here's the story. Um, Dr. Amanda Severuzzi-Perry, I think is how you pr pronounce the last name, I'm probably messing that up, but it that part doesn't really matter, I guess. It says, often parents don't want to know the gender of the baby because they want it to be a surprise. But actually knowing the sex of your baby would help identify whether a pregnancy may be at greater risk than normal. Because we know that some conditions of pregnancy, such as preeclampsia and fetal growth restriction, can be more prevalent in women that carry male babies than those who are pregnant with female babies. They say they don't know why that is necessarily, but it may be related to the fact that male babies grow faster in the womb. So it might be that their demands for nutrients and oxygen supplied from the mother through the placenta can be more easily limited uh, because the uh, baby is, is larger. 
It may be that its uh, resilience against stresses or poor conditions in pregnancy may be lower than for females who have less requirements uh, in utero. So anyway, long and short of it, they say it might be a good idea to learn the gender of your baby. Oh, here we go. More gender reveal parties. <laughs> but uh, that could be ultimately a good thing for healthy pregnancies. So something to think about if you are uh, expecting and uh, thinking, should we or shouldn't we uh, find out in advance or we're having a boy or a girl? So in addition to all of the practical reasons for finding out early, that there you have that. And, uh, of course, we're coming up here before too long on uh, travel season. And we've been talking about this a little bit. A new offer from the Travel and Leisure Club will soon let Star Wars fans step foot on two of the planets made famous by the movie series. Sort of. To help fans celebrate Star Wars Day coming up on May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Uh... The Travel and Leisure Club has cooked up two itineraries that will fan, that will let fans visit Tunisia and Abu Dhabi, the two real-world locations that served as sets for Luke Skywalker's desert planet Tatooine in Star Wars, and Jakku, I think I'm pronouncing it right, the planet on which Rey uh, scavenged uh, in The Force Awakens uh, movie. The Tunisia trip will set you back $1,120. Uh, that's not including the flight. And you can get to visit the still-preserved desert homes seen in the original Star Wars movie. And also in The Phantom Menace. Seven days in Abu Dhabi will be just under $1,800 for two people. However, in both, both cases, it says prices will vary depending on occupancy, length of stay, itinerary options selected, and date availability. So, but if you are a Star Wars fan, there you go uh, for your uh, summer vacation <laughs> in outer space, sort of. Anyway, there you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, becoming mostly sunny today with a high near 50. Clear and cold tonight with a low of 32. Hancock County residents who will be voting in next week's primary election are being asked to support a replacement levy for mental health services in the county. Local pediatrician Dr. Amy Orr about the need for the levy. Good mental health is a real cornerstone of overall good health, and people are now coming to appreciate the fact that if they're not healthy mentally and emotionally, the rest of their lives and everything and everyone around them is impacted. And Dr. Orr says without taxpayer support, a lot of mental health services that Hancock County residents rely on would go away. You can get more on the levy, other issues, and candidates on the primary ballot on our website. Ohio U.S. Senator Rob Portman is calling on the Biden administration to do more to support Ukraine. The retiring Republican lawmaker says the Russians have been defeated in Kyiv, but now Russia is trying to take control of eastern Ukraine. Sanctions for energy transactions don't go into effect against Russian banks, including the VTB Bank, until June 24th. Those sanctions ought to go into place right now. They should have gone into place weeks ago. The United Nations Secretary General is meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin for the first time since the war started. His hope is to secure a ceasefire. That's ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. 
A group of voting rights advocates is asking the Ohio Supreme Court to hold members of the Ohio Redistricting Commission in contempt. In their motion, representatives from the League of Women Voters said Republican members of the commission are running out the clock on a May 28th deadline set by federal judges. The federal court told the commission to submit a new map that meets state requirements or they would impose a map that was previously deemed unconstitutional. Earlier this week, Democrats publicly invited Republicans on the commission to meet, but all declined. The ACLU and other voting rights groups are asking the Ohio Supreme Court to force the redistricting commission to meet. The Faustoria Area Safety Council has announced the winner of its annual $1,000 scholarship. Shay Olin is a senior at Faustoria High School and plans to pursue a degree in wildlife conservation biology at Ohio University. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. So, of course, we all saw the videos of uh, travelers on planes whipping off their masks when it was announced mid-flight that a federal judge had struck down the CDC's mask mandate on public transportation. But that jubilation may be rather short-lived because the Justice Department has uh, appealed that ruling. And what could be the long-term implications of all of this? Would it be revealed, uh, re- reversed? Should it be reversed? Uh, joining us this morning uh, to pick it all apart is our kind of our go-to expert on all things uh, relating to constitutional law and the law in general, Professor Scott Gerber, Ohio Northern University's Pettit School of Law and an associated scholar at Brown University's Political Theory Project. And you actually argued, Scott, in a uh, recent editorial for the uh, uh, National Law Journal that you believe that the uh judge's injunction should be reversed on appeal why uh for two for two primary reasons one because it binds non-parties rather than only parties to the case and that would violate due process and the other reason is um uh, it her decision also binds other uh federal district court judges across the country and also perhaps even more important than that higher courts. And so for that reason, uh, a lot of people think that these so-called universal or nationwide injunctions and technically what she did was uh, vacated uh, a rule under the Administrative Procedure Act, but it all has the same effect. Mm -hmm. One judge in one district court sitting in one district in Florida has now uh, uh, stopped uh, a federal policy everywhere in the country. So uh, for those, it's kind of interesting uh, making this argument because uh, where a lot of folks would argue that the CDC overstepped their authority in imposing the mask mandate, you are actually saying that this uh, federal judge sort of overstepped her authority in striking it down. Is that basically the long and short of it? Absolutely. And as I point out in the National Law Journal piece, uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, for whom she clerked, and he's very conservative, mm-hmm. also calls these things into question, as did Jeff Sessions, who was uh, President Trump's first atten- attorney general, and, and Bill Barr, who was Trump's uh, second attorney general. They All three of these leading figures in the conservative legal movement think that these so-called nationwide injunctions are unconstitutional for the reasons that i've mentioned but isn't that isn't it a legal or a a a valid concern uh the legitimate uh uh, concern about uh unelected bureaucrats at the cdc for example in this case making these 
de facto laws uh, with no oversight. I mean, isn't that a a, a concern that uh, the courts uh, should take up? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're raising a, an enormous question in constitutional law. Do um, administrative agencies have too much authority? In mm-hmm. my opinion, yes, they do. Yeah, uh, But that doesn't mean that one judge sitting in one district in the United States uh, can put a stop to a policy that a bureaucrat in D.C. makes uh, for the entire country. So uh, who would have that authority? This, only the Supreme Court? <laughs> yeah, and and obviously the uh, solution would be legislatively spelling out what that authority is and who does have oversight and what the oversight would be. Correct. Um, well, I mean th- that technically, you know, uh, 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 the Supreme Court, as I say in the piece, that this is the case, in my opinion, that the Supreme Court should clean up this, this question of whether. Uh, nationwide injunctions are constitutional or not. They touched on it in the Trump versus Hawaii case where there was a nationwide injunction issued by a federal trial judge in Hawaii that stopped Trump's um, uh, policy about um, uh, travel, the travel ban. Yeah. Uh, and the U.S. Supreme Court reversed that judge, but on diff- for different grounds. And then it was in that case where Clarence Thomas said, let's deal with this nationwide injunction issue Hmm. and so i think now they should deal with it so it sounds like there are a couple of things at play here the nationwide injunction is is maybe the uh, flip side of the same coin of the question over the differences between regulations and laws and you know who has uh at what level the authority to impose uh, regulations such as the mask mandate, which still is an unresolved, a bit of an unresolved question uh, in its own right. Yeah, and, and and I agree. I mean, the conservative uh, legal movement is not comfortable with the deference, the so-called Chevron deference that courts pay to administrative agencies, and mm-hmm. I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Also, for the reasons that you've mentioned. These bureaucrats are not elected, and they're therefore unaccountable under civil service tenure protection. Right. And so I don't think courts should be interpreting, I mean, should be deferring to agencies when agencies are interpreting laws that elected branches enact. So the uh, so the Justice Department appeal of uh, this ruling, it's been uh, framed as, I mean, because the uh, mask mandate that was... Uh, that was overturned was set to expire uh, this coming week anyway. So um, absent any extension, but the administration has basically said that this isn't, isn't necessarily about the uh, mask mandate itself per se, but more about the agency's ability to uh, make these types of regulations in the future uh, in the event of a public health necessity, uh, so it seem it would seem like there is a lot at stake uh, in the appeal of this ruling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think what the administration's trying to do is get around the mootness argument because, as you say, at some point, you know, this week uh, the uh, regulations going to expire anyway. But yeah. then. What happens if an agency in the future does the same thing and then a, a, another judge or this same judge strikes that down? So, yeah, there's a lot at stake there. And, of course, as 
as you realize, you know, these, these appellate courts are political also, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. so it's going to, the first crack at it, it's going to be in the 11th Circuit, which sits in Atlanta. And my understanding of that court is, is, it, is that it's conservative. And, of course, the U.S. Supreme Court is also conservative. And so who knows uh, what they're going to do? Because as your uh, intro made clear, lots and lots of people are happy that the mask mandate was avoided uh, by mm-hmm. this judge. Yeah. Uh, not the least of which, uh, the airline industry uh, was very happy. And, and certainly uh, when you talk about the politics involved, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, lobbying power there uh, in the travel and tourism industry as well. So it'll be very interesting to see where this goes, uh, not just from a pandemic standpoint, standpoint, a practical standpoint and how we all may be impacted by this, but uh, the long-term legal implications of this uh, Justice Department appeal uh, of this injunction. Before I let you go, uh, Scott, I do want to ask you about one other uh, item that is on a totally different uh, subject, but has certainly been making a lot of headlines uh, recently, especially as we come up on uh, next week's primary, which we were talking a little bit about yesterday on the program, and that is Ohio's redistricting mess. The Ohio Supreme Court has kind of injected themselves into this process. Has that in your opinion, been helpful or hurtful in resolving this whole redistricting issue? Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a mess. I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court has actually said that that's a political question that the federal courts won't even uh, stick their fingers in anymore. Hmm. And just coincidentally, um, earlier this academic year, we had uh, Justice Melody Stewart, uh, who's on the Ohio Supreme Court, speak at our law school. And someone asked her a que- this, the very question <laughs> that you just asked me, and she she uh, politely declined to answer it. Um, so, uh, but you know, if, if these ma- if these maps are uh, being redrawn to uh, advantage, you know, one part one party rather than another, or one race rather than another, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you know, that's problematic for me because it gets. It dilutes too much the idea that every person's vote should count the same as everybody else's. Again, uh, Professor Scott Gerber is uh, the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, of course, Associated Scholar, Brown University's Political Theory Project. Uh, We have a link up to uh, his uh, op-ed in the uh, National Law Journal uh, on this uh, nationwide injunction on the uh, mask mandate, if you want to uh, check that out. Scott, thanks very much for uh, taking the time and your insight this morning. As always, we appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Joseph is with us this morning, America's favorite crankiness expert with a new book for kids and adults to help them laugh a little while embracing their crankiness. It is called Snoodles, Cadoodles, Poodles, and Lots and Lots of Noodles. And Stephen, first of all, given given everything we have collectively been through over the past couple of years, crankiness is kind of in vogue right now almost. You feel like as Kind of like your time has come that the rest of the world is caught up to you as America's crankiness expert. Well, uh, I my thing is about embracing crankiness. It's not <laughs> the, the, since uh, since we're we're all cranky anyway, and it all started. My first book is called "The Last Surviving Dinosaur: The Tyrannic Crankosaurus." <laughs> Taurus is this Yiddish word for problems, and. Uh, 
it's a story of how all humans evolved from the tiniest dinosaur, but the most dangerous dinosaur on the planet. It's why we're all cranky. So, so this dinosaur except cranking out all her problems to all the other dinosaurs disappeared. And then humans later then came onto the planet. So, so, uh, yes, I, I talk about, uh, how to be effectively cranky. I have my grown up guide to effective cranking is the, the crankage source method. And that's my second book. And then now, yes, noodles, kadoodles, poodles, and lots and lots of noodles. Uh, and uh, everybody is no longer cranky in that book. Everybody's <laughs> happy at the end. I was going to say, it's hard to be cranky with a book by that title. So tell us about the story uh, here in this book. Well, this book uh, is a story about this great inventor, uh, Herbie Snoodleman. And he invented the snoodle. It's, it's a car that runs on noodles. And not only that, you could just drive home, press the button, now comes a big bowl of noodles for the whole family. Everybody's happy, and, every, and, and the air just smelled with delicious noodles all around, all around the world. And it replaced the Krautmobile, which ran on sauerkraut. And before that, when everybody was driving the Krautmobile, Everybody just smelled like sauerkraut, and they're all really cranky. <laughs> so, uh, so this was a great new invention. Uh, of course, uh, uh, the inventor of the Krautmobile, Sauer Krudelman, uh, he wasn't too happy with that. He kind of tried to uh, exert some revenge, and things get a little silly after that. But. But in the end, everybody's happy. And and there is a, a larger message here. You talk about embracing your crankiness. This is uh, kind of the overarching message that is actually quite uplifting and, and positive at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, uh, and and I mean, my I also have a blog on my uh, website, stephenjosephauthor.com, where I write on all sorts of different topics on crankiness. And uh, it's about empowerment. It's about being heard uh, and heard in a safe way where people, you know, it's like if you just blurt out something, uh, it might not be ready to be received. And, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I always start talking about, you know, you walk into like your Aunt Sadie's home and she says, hey, uh, Chris, take off your shoes. I paid $20 for this new rug. I don't want to get the rug dirty. And you take off your shoes because you don't want to get this $20 rug dirty. But the people who are valuable in our lives, we end up putting all the schmutz on each other. And it could be done, but how do we do it in a way that we uh, we respect each other and we yeah. hear each other. We give people the opportunity of being heard. Uh, so that that's what it's all about, um, and having fun with it as well. So, and, uh, uh, well, and certainly, you know, where we are right now. Again, you know, as we started, uh, we, that's a lesson that we could all learn, kids and adults. Absolutely, yes. And and this book was actually written uh, in a way. Uh, almost like about the pandemic where people are cranky, but, uh, instead of, uh, in, instead of, you know, just, uh, 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 
virus, I mm. just said, okay, everybody's cranky about because of the sauerkraut, <laughs> e- even though there's nothing wrong with sauerkraut. If you like sauerkraut, that's fine. But I had to use something. But I, yeah, but and, I, uh, I don't know that I want to power a car by it. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, that, that's probably not a good, good idea. So, uh, so you, there's even a picture uh, where you have people, some people wearing masks, some people not wearing masks, and they're fighting. These are all cranky with each other. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, uh, Herbie Snoodleman opens up the Snoodle Cadoodle Noodle Art Museum, and uh, but that has to get closed down due to stinkiness, and he's wearing a mask. <laughs> so there's there's that. So I I had a lot of fun with uh, yeah make it making it feel like a pandemic type book but uh yeah but uh something that that you know hey we're 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 gonna get out of this yeah and and turning that into something positive speaking of uh turning all of that into something positive you are donating uh part of the proceeds from this book to the ukrainian crisis relief fund and that is a cause that is very close to your heart tell us about this well yes uh uh, my mother, uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. She passed away about five years ago. Uh, but uh, she was born in West Ukraine in this town, Ursheva. Uh, so uh, uh, because this is where my family originated, uh, I'm first-generation American, uh, 25% of all proceeds uh, I'm going to donate to the Ukrainian Crisis Relief Fund. Mm. And... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, uh, something, uh, my, my first book almost has more, a little more resonance because of this, uh, where it's just, you have the big dinosaurs making fun of the smallest dinosaur, hmm. but it's the smallest diner, dinosaur that makes all the bigger dinosaurs disappear. So it's, hmm. it's kind of like, uh, it's it's almost like you know like a a, a wish you know for yeah. what what's happening right right now yeah uh, now that is certainly turning crankiness into something positive to be sure the uh, book is called Snoodles Cadoodles Poodles and lots and lots of noodles Stephen Joseph is the author and you mentioned the website where you have more about the book and and more of your writings uh, mention again where we find that online stephenjosephauthor.com. dot uh, com I have a blog on there where. Uh, I could cure about any sort of crankiness uh, that you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> so there's about oh, like over 70 different kind of things that people could read and embrace. So uh, it's a lot of fun, and I have fun with it. Because I think it is exactly what uh, just about all of us need right now. Stephen Joseph, thanks very much for taking the time. Certainly best of luck with the book. Thanks for having me, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A man is under arrest in Northern Virginia for allegedly attacking a woman with a charcuterie board. (laughs) Of all of the things, a charcuterie board. Prince William County Police say Jonathan Edison Diza Roca surrendered to police without incident to face charges in the case. Police were called to an apartment on April 21st to investigate a domestic incident. Woman claims that Mr. Roca struck her in the face during our, during an argument with a wooden charcuterie board. <laughs> uh, very uh, unique. Can you imagine uh, going to the slammer? What are you in for? Uh, 
Don't mess with me. I wield a mean charcuterie board. <laughs> Just unusual choice of weapon there. Uh, this is a little unusual. Not every day that you see a dog on a roof of a house. Uh, animal control officers in Montclair, New Jersey, responded to an unusual call of a dog that had squeezed out between an air conditioner and a window frame. And and ended up stranded on the roof of a home. The three-year-old dog's owner says she was unable to safely coax the dog back inside. One responding officer held another by the legs as he climbed partway out the window to reach the stranded dog. The whole rescue caught on video and shared to uh, the Facebook page of the Animal Control Officers and Animal Cruelty Investigators in Montclair Township. The owner of the dog says she has since put a baby gate on her window to produce to prevent Toby from getting out again. So hopefully there won't be a repeat of that incident. <laughs> it must have been quite a... I have not seen the video, but it's got to be uh, quite humorous, I would think. Uh, a couple of other items here in the broken news. The odd side of the headlines. U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, says that they uh, seized 10 counterfeit Detroit Red Wings Stanley Cup championship rings this week. Uh, officials say the rings had a total value of around $15,000. They were not real, and uh, they made no uh, bones about the fact that they were uh, not real championship rings. Um, they, uh, the reason that they were seized is because they violated the intellectual property rights of the team's trademark. Uh, and they were not authentic, but mostly because it was a trademark uh, violation. Customs and Border Protection says they plan they play an important role in protecting consumers and businesses from fraudulent items. Detroit Red Wings championship, uh, Stanley Cup championship rings, fake ones. Uh, this is kind of interesting. All kinds of weird things seized uh, by Customs and Border Protection. It's uh, hey, a political story in the broken news. Now that we're into primary season here, when it comes to what you're call what you call yourself on the ballot, there are rules regarding names on the ballot. The Oklahoma Election Board decided Monday that uh, State Representative Sean Roberts can run for Oklahoma Labor Commissioner, but he cannot refer to himself by the nickname the Patriot on the ballot. <laughs> he, he wanted to actually put that on the ballot, uh, his name and his nickname, The Patriot, because that would be unfair. I mean, if you're looking at the candidates and one says The Patriot, oh, I'm going to vote for The Patriot. Uh, so clearly that's what he was hoping. But uh, election officials in Oklahoma uh, say rules do allow a candidate to use a nickname if it's a name the candidate is generally known by or if the candidate does business using it said nickname uh, Robert's opponent who is the uh, Republican labor commissioner Leslie Osborne says there is no evidence that Mr. Roberts is actually known by the nickname the Patriot he just wanted to give himself an edge on the ballot uh, Mr. Roberts said in a statement he is considering an appeal <laughs> alrighty then and uh, finally in the broken news this morning a Texas family that left their outdoor couch to grab some pizza found an unwanted visitor sitting there when they returned. Have you ever had that uh, happen where you give up your seat, 
You get a prime seat to uh, watch the game or whatever on TV. Um, you're sitting around with some friends, and you go up to, you know, you get up to go get a snack or, you know, use the facilities or get a drink, what have you. You come back, somebody stole your seat. Well, in this case, uh, it was a rattlesnake that stole the guy's seat. Uh, Jacob Gamble of Decatur, Texas, was watching Game 3 of the Dallas Mavericks-Utah Jazz NBA Playoff Series last Thursday night when he and his family went inside. They were out on their uh, their patio, uh, and they were watching the game. It's kind of lounging. Uh, when they went inside to get something to eat, upon their return, they found... A rattlesnake coiled up and rattling its tail right there on the couch where they had just been sitting. Uh, Mr. Gamble's daughter can be heard uh, telling her dad not to get close to it. Um, And uh, the video, this whole exchange was posted online, went viral. Um, The recording stops right before the snake's life came to a premature end. Uh, according to Mr. Gamble, who said uh, as soon as his daughter stopped recording, he shot and killed the, benef- the venomous rattlesnake before disposing of its remains later in the night. And they got to watch the rest of the game. So, that's <laughs> you imagine? I'll take care of that. That's the Texas way. There you go. Uh, that is the uh, broken news this morning. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hi, this is Ty Higgins, inviting you to join me Sunday mornings on WFIN for Our Ohio Weekly. We cover a wide variety of subjects, including food safety, science and technology, agriculture, business, government, and much more. The conversations with our guests each week will focus on the issues that are important to you, your community, and the state of Ohio. Join us for Our Ohio Weekly, Sunday mornings at 6 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. It seems that young Americans are losing their faith in politics. According to a new poll out this week from Harvard University's Institute of Politics, and even more disturbingly, uh, it, it seems that uh, fewer of them believe that it really makes any difference one way or the other. The survey of Americans between the ages of 18 to 29 found 36 percent, just 36 percent, said that they would definitely vote in the midterms this fall. That is virtually unchanged from 2018 when there was record overall turnout for a midterm. But it also showed an equal number uh, said that political involvement rarely has any tangible results. 36% up from 22% who said that back in 2018. Additionally, 42% said, I don't believe my vote will make a real difference. 31% said that in 2018, now 42%. And 56% believe that politics today are no longer able to meet the challenges our country is facing. Uh, 45% agreed with that sentiment in 2018. So all of these numbers are up. The director of the poll, John Della Volpe, said uh, there is clear growing discontent with the people and the politics of Washington, D.C. Discontent. Interesting word. Um, He goes on to say young people seriously are questioning whether politics can even meet the challenges that our nation that our nation is facing. However, he also said 
that uh, uh, young people uh, are, are not ready or don't appear ready to pack it in or ready to give up on it just yet. So maybe there is some reason for encouragement. But uh, now some would argue that uh, having a sort of cynical view of politics simply means that these younger voters are growing up and realizing what what uh, the real world and real world politics is all about, uh, if you want to take a really cynical view. But interesting uh, numbers out from the Harvard University Institute of Politics among young voters, not only losing faith in politics, but the ability to be engaged and viewing politics as a way to make our lives, our country, our futures better for the next generation. Sarah Clevidence is here from the Finley Hancock County Public Library. We believe we're coming up on the month of May already, but uh, always a number of uh, community programs, events, things going on at the library. And, uh, get the scoop here on what's happening in the uh, coming month. Sarah, thanks very much for dropping by. Good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, First of all, uh, Art Walk is coming up right around the corner, and you actually are participating in this. How so? We are. We joined Art Walk for the first time last fall and had such a great time. We knew we had to be back this spring, so (laughs) we decided to do Tiny Art uh, for Art Walk, which will be on display in the library. Uh, We've also solicited art from local Finley uh, city in Hancock County Schools, so we'll be displaying some student art throughout the building. Okay. And the Maza Museum will join us uh, for a puppet show at 5.30 in the Children's Department. And then Fermata the Blue from Liberty Benton High School will join us at 6, um, per- be performing under the skylight. Awesome. So uh, don't forget to swing on by the library uh, during your art walk adventure uh, coming up here in uh, the not too distant future Um, because a lot of things uh, be going on. And, you know, that actually just kind of speaks to something that we've talked about uh, before. Library is about so much more than just books. It is, although I will point out that the bookseller will be open during Art Walk, too. So So you can still get your book fix. But yes, we're, we're a community space. We're room for everyone to come. Uh, explore and learn and grow and even your programs uh, a lot of times will center around uh, other things uh, besides just books oh my goodness our may lineup of adult events could not be more varied we have ghost hunters we have clutter-free living we have a lecture on sailing uh, something about movement and uh, careers for in-demand job week so (laughs) we've got a wide variety so now those programs as you mentioned which are all coming up in the uh, month of may do folks need to sign up for those or are those more drop-in type programs most of our adult programs are drop-in but you can get all the details on our online calendar on our website finleylibrary.org okay and a number of youth programs always have things going on for the kids we do although may is a little bit lighter as our staff are preparing for summer read to launch in june Mm -hmm. Uh, but we do have a symphony story time on may 17th with the lima symphony orchestra Ooh. And That'll be fun. It should be a really great time. They yeah. usually bring some instruments so the kids can participate in making the music as well as hearing the story. And then on May 27th at 2, uh, we'll have a Wish Tree celebration. It's a program with the Black Heritage Library Multicultural Center. Okay. There'll be some reader's theater about the um, 
the story of the wish tree. Okay. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, the uh, wish tree, because I have to admit that's I'm not necessarily familiar. Maybe I should be, but... You no, know, I really didn't know much about it either until I, I learned we were putting on this program. <laughs> um, but oh, it's uh, apparently a, an, an Irish tradition okay. to have a wish tree. So okay. um, after the program, there should be a wish tree available in the library's hmm. locker. For folks to hang their wishes on. Okay, very good. Uh, and also coming up in the month of May, one of the other uh, things that uh, you mentioned, the uh, bookseller would be open during Art Walk. Uh, the Friends of the Library having a big book sale in May as well. They are uh, Friday, May 20th to Sunday, May 22nd. They've got so many books this time. They are taking over both of our our program rooms in the lower <laughs> level. So there should be lots of great deals for folks. And uh, so that uh, folks know, the uh, Friends of the Library uh what what do they do with respect to operations, the uh, library? Sure. So the, the Friends um, primary project is running the bookseller in our mm-hmm. lower level. Yeah. Uh, they raise funds through that to donate back to the library, uh, helping us with a variety of, of needs throughout the year. Mm-hmm. They support some of our ebook purchases that we make. They are a major sponsor for our community read program. Okay. Uh, and then l- little things throughout the year as well, like sending our children's services staff to the Maza Museum's um, Summer Institute. Oh, okay. So uh, really circulating this, the stuff that they do uh, really benefits uh, everyone at the library of all ages. It really uh, does, yes. Uh, kind of what we were getting at uh, there. And the, the books... Uh, are are they primarily stuff that's been taken out of circulation or it's a variety it? there is the the items that have been taken out of circulation you know mm-hmm. uh, big authors like james patterson when yeah. he's his new books come out we need to buy a lot and, <laughs> and we don't need to keep eight to 12 copies on the shelf forever so yeah. uh, there'll be items that we've withdrawn from the collection that wind up in the bookseller but also lots of donations that come in mm-hmm. when donations come in first we check to see if we can use them in our in our collection and yeah. if not if they're not something we need then we pass them on to the friends and they'll sell them in their bookseller so uh, and what i'm kind of getting at there is you do accept uh, donations, and and if folks, if it's stuff that, like you said, you can't use, that's not to say that it isn't put to use. Absolutely, it has a few chances for a second life. Either our collection, the friends, uh, then we use a, another company called Better World Books that we'll send materials to if they'll accept them. They may uh, be able to resell them. They may be able to donate them to. Um, another community that needs them. And as a last resort, some things do get recycled, but they have a lot of opportunities to find a new home first. That is uh, awesome stuff. Uh, So again, uh, lots of things going on in the month of May. Primary uh, events being Art Walk. So don't forget to uh, swing by the library, uh, check out uh, Art Walk. And the uh, Friends Book Sale is coming up when again? That's uh, May 20th through the 22nd. Okay. And uh, more information about all of this uh, at the uh, website and also a lot of online resources um, in terms of uh, classes and you know online classes and, and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, we we still have postings up on our YouTube. We do uh, we have a lot of databases available online, mm-hmm. so you can learn how to do a wide variety of things. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking you know we're coming into the uh, summer months, you know the lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer, and you know mm-hmm. you may want to you know take up a hobby or, or something. You probably find something there uh, on the website. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we have a link up at our webpage. You can check all of that out. Again, uh, Sarah Clevidence, the Finley Hancock County Public Library, with us uh, this morning talking about upcoming programs in the month of May. Sarah, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a lot of people wondering 
about what an Elon Musk-owned Twitter means for the future of social media. But this is not a new conversation in our Throwback Thursday feature. We talk about the toxicity of social media on our politics and our culture. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.